So have you come to the courthouse or the church house? I hope it's a church house. I hope it's a place of hope, of welcome, acceptance, restoration, and redemption, and not condemnation. And that's what James is going to talk about today as we continue the study in the book of James. We're coming to the end of it, and he's going to tell us today how as Christians we can learn to judge without being judgmental. And that ultimately is what the goal is. As Christians, we need to learn to judge without being judgmental. Do you understand that you can judge and not be judgmental? And too much of the time, we're judgmental when we judge. And people, instead of seeing a church house, they see that courthouse We're we're all about judging people and condemning people and not really restoring and redeeming people. So we're going to pick it up right here in James chapter 4, where we left off a week ago in verse 11. You ready for this? Say yes. Yes. Say let's go. Let's go. go. Here we go. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, we know a little bit what's going on. As James wrote this 2,000 years ago, this was early on in church history when most of the church was still largely Jewish. And they were having a schism, a division around church doctrine. And Acts 15 tells us more about it. There was actually a disagreement about circumcision. In other words, when people came to faith in Jesus and you were a non-Jew, did you have to go through the Hebrew rite of circumcision to become a Christian? There's this schism going on. And that is why you see this theme kind of woven throughout the book of James as he writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We can see he's addressing this issue of division within the body, dissension, in this case, over church doctrine. People were judging one person because they refused to get circumcised, and those on the other side were going, yeah, that's the right side, and those on the other side going, no, that's the wrong side, and so they're judging each other's spirituality, they're judging each other's love for Jesus, and James is trying to write now to say, hey man, who are you to judge another? There is one lawgiver who's God, and you ain't him. Now I want you to remember something, nowhere in Scripture are we actually taught not to judge. The reality is Scripture teaches us how to judge. And so James is picking up on this theme that Jesus spoke of often. Now there's one verse I'm convinced in the Bible that is probably more known than any other, and it's where Jesus is teaching, listen, there is a difference between making a moral judgment and being judgmental. We're called to make moral judgments of right and wrong. We do that every day, don't we, as human beings? If uh, you uh, walk out today, and I hope this doesn't happen to you, but you go back to get in your car and it's gone, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to freak out first, and then you're going to do what? Get out your phone, you're going to call the police. You know why? Because you want your car back. It's wrong that somebody took your car. You want judgment, you want justice. Yes, you do. See, there's this thing going around that we're not to judge anybody as Christians. And if you, you know, you, you really shouldn't judge anybody or any, the reality is every human being makes moral judgments every day. You think that's wrong, and the moment you say something is wrong, you declare something else must be right, you made a moral judgment. You see, you're learning to judge, but we don't want to be judgmental. Now, Jesus is going to talk more about this. In Matthew 7 and verse 1, I think it's probably the most famous saying of Jesus anywhere in Scripture. It used to be in our American society, the most famous thing 
Jesus ever said was John 3.16. I don't think it is anymore. Remember John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the number one verse for all time for everyone. I'm convinced it's probably not number one. It's probably somewhere in the top three but not number one, because you hear people quote the Bible all the time. People that don't believe in the Word of God, they don't follow Jesus as the Son of God, but they can quote at least one thing Jesus said. Judge not. Yeah, that's the one thing. That's the one thing. Everybody knows it's in the Bible somewhere. I'm not sure who said it, but you know, you're not supposed to judge me. So what did Jesus really say, all right? What did he say in Matthew 7, verse 1? Judge not. There it is. We're not supposed to judge. All right, let's pray. That's it. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. It's not over. There's a comma there, not a period, right? See, a comma means there's more on the way. Yes, he said judge not, but if you stop right there, you don't really understand what Jesus meant. And so this is a little bit like people take this out of context all the time. Context is always the key. And people pull this out of context all the time when you hear somebody say, you're not supposed to judge. Jesus said, judge not. The Bible says, judge not. Uh, The most important thing he ever said, judge not. Basically what they're saying is, don't tell me I'm wrong about anything I'm doing. Don't tell me I'm wrong about any decision I'm making. Don't judge my lifestyle, even though I'm following completely my own desires instead of following God. You're not supposed to judge me if you're a Christian. Wait a minute, there's a comma there, not a period, right? So we have to follow up and see what more did Jesus say, because you can honestly take the Bible and prove anything you want to with the Bible if you pull things out of context. You can prove anything that you want to with the Bible. I could prove to you today that God makes me lie. He does. God makes me lie. Did you know that? When I lie, I can't help myself. God made me do it. God makes me lie. It's what it says in the Bible. Psalm 23 and verse 1, he maketh me to lie. (laughs) That's what it says. Look it up. He maketh me to lie. That's what it says, isn't it? Oh, 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 wait a minute. So I need to read the rest of that verse. Okay, there's more to it, isn't there? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Oh, Okay, I get it now. There's always more to it. You've got to take things in proper context because Jesus gets quoted out of context all the time and the rest of the scripture does too. So let's put it in its proper context. Judge not, comma, not period. There's more to come. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is talking here to the Pharisees of his day. They were the most religious people of the day. They were the religious rulers, the religious elite. And they kept every little jot, every little tittle, every little detail of the law. And they were always telling other people how they were falling short. That's the nature of religion. Did you know that religious people are the most judgmental people on the face of the planet? They are. That's why, listen, as a Christian, you have more than a religion. You have redemption, and they're not the same thing. See, religion is about what you do for God, and the more you do for God, the more God loves you, and the more somebody else does less than you, that means God loves them less than you, so religion is all about you. And religion is all about your religious works and your righteous works, and hopefully you've done enough to get into heaven. And here's the reality, religion fosters comparison. 
because I've done more than they have, I'm better than them, and I've done more than they have, and I'm better than them, and well, obviously, I'm a lot better than them. See, religion, if it's all about you working your way to God, trying to get God to love you by the things you do for him, all of a sudden, that fosters comparison and judgmentalism, and that was the Pharisees of Jesus' day. That's the audience specifically. On the other hand, if you know you've got redemption, what does that mean? Listen, you don't get to heaven based on anything you do for God. You get to heaven based solely on what God has done for you. And what that means is, it wasn't yours to get. It was his to give. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. You see, we get to heaven not based on our work, but his work. All of a sudden, I can't take credit for my own salvation. You see, ultimately, we have a God of redemption that is more than religion. And that means, honestly, there's no need for comparison. You know why? Because my junk stinks as bad as yours do. (laughs) See, self-righteous people that judge others with this comparison, I'm better than them, or they're less than me, and they're not a good Christian. See, self-deception is a self-distortion that leads to self-righteousness. See, self-righteous people can't see themselves for who they are. They can pick out the little flaws in everybody else's life, but they can't see the flaws in their own life. That's the nature of self-righteousness. It's built on self-deception, and it's built on this thing about religion that fosters comparison. When you think you got to work your way to God, all of a sudden you're comparing your works to somebody else's works, and they're less than me, and I'm better than them. And this is what Jesus is talking. He says, listen, if you judge, and everybody in some way is going to judge, you judge the way you'd want to be judged. And the same way you want to be judged, you judge others. And if you judge not and you will not be judged. He's talking about judging people, somebody take, just taking one look at somebody and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh. mm-hmm, just writing them off on this superficial, external, false metric of spirituality, right? Now he's saying, look, And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, when you judge, you should judge others the way you'd want to be judged. Uh, Jesus gave us the golden rule. He said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now he's saying, look, judge others the way you would want them to judge you. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going to judge me, I want you to judge me with lots and lots of mercy. I want you to judge me with lots of grace and lots of compassion. He says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you don't have any grace for anybody, if you have no compassion for anybody, God's going to say the day's coming that God's going to judge you with no grace and no compassion. Here's the reality. Next time somebody judges you, don't just say, don't judge me. You should tell them, look, judge not or you will be judged. Say that right now. Judge not. Now get out your preacher pointy finger, look at the person next to you, and say, judge not, or you will be judged. Yeah. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, look, in the same way you judge, it's going to be judged on you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? 
and look, a plank in your own eye. You see self-righteous judgmental people can see the little speck of sawdust in their brother's eye, but they can't see the log beam hanging out of their own eye. See, self-righteous is self-deception. The, self, the self-righteousness is built on the distortion of religion, that it's all about what I do to get to heaven. And because I've worked harder than him, I must be a better Christian. It's self-deception and a self-distortion. We can't see who we are really because we got this plank of wood in our eyes so we can't see clearly. That means everybody else's stuff stinks, but mine don't. My stuff don't stink. And here's the reality. Everybody's stuff stinks. You got stinky stuff in your life. Look at somebody right now, just say, you stinky. (laughs) Now look back at him and say, well, you stinky too. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, hey, don't don't point out somebody else's stinky, because you got stinky stuff too. We all do. We all got issues. But self-righteous people can't see their own issues. All they can see is somebody else's issues. They like walking around pointing out the little flaws in people's lives because they can't see the stinking log in their own eyes. They're blinded by their own stuff. And they think their stuff don't stink. Here's what Jesus is saying. Now, if we just stop right here, what we would think is Jesus is just teaching, mind your own business. All right, let everybody mind their own business, you mind their own business, but that's not what Jesus is teaching at all. Watch this, there's still more. There's a, there's a question mark and there's still yet more coming. Hypocrite, he ain't done preaching. He's saying you're a hypocrite. If you can only see other people's junk, but you can't see your own junk, you're the height of a hypocrite. That is the height of hypocrisy. Exclamation point. You think these Pharisees this day were having themselves a little happy, clappy church? It's no wonder they hated him. He was the only one that would look him in the eyes and tell him the truth. He called them hypocrites. You look all good and religious on the outside, but you got all your junk you hide in the inside. Listen, religion is a cover up. But religion is about a, a redemption is about a cleanup. Jesus came to clean us up, not cover it up. And that's what he did on the cross. That's something altogether different. Listen, Jesus looked at these same men. He didn't just call them hypocrites. Check this out. He called them whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you look white and clean, but inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. He called them a den of vipers. He's calling them out because of their self-righteousness and their religiosity and their arrogancy. And He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now listen, what did we just see? He's not saying, never mind your, your brother's speck. In other words, in the body of Christ, if you're in true community, we ought to have this shared unity and this relational security to call each other out on some things. If you're not in biblical community, this is your chance. So October, there's the on-ramp for what we call groups. We want to connect you in family. Listen, we want to connect you in true friendship and fellowship. If all you do is come to church and you sit here in anonymity, you come and you go in anonymity, but you're not in true community, you will not grow spiritually. 
You will plateau spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, it demands that you you leave behind the anonymity and you connect relationally with members of Christ's body. And when you do, you've got that little group, that little family, check this out. We are there for that shared unity and also accountability where all of a sudden there's a trust between us that I'm going to let somebody, you know, they're going to point out the speck in my eye. And and, And because there's a trust there, I can point out the speck in their eye. That's how you grow. That's the iron sharpening iron thing, right? Now, here's the deal with Jesus' teaching. Listen, you will never earn the trust to point out the speck in your brother's eye until you realize you got a log hanging out of your own eye. See, if you're the person that's always pointing out the flaws in somebody else's life without dealing with the flaws in your own life, listen, you won't see clearly them because you can't see clearly yourself. See, true community in the body of Christ, we want to eventually get here where we can remove the speck from our brother's eye. And that's where we're helping people see the things that they're blind to. We all have blind spots. You know why we got blind spots in our life? Because we got little specks of sawdust in our eyes. That's what Jesus is teaching. Some of us have more than a speck. We've got a log hanging out of our eyes, and we're the only one that don't know it. Jesus is saying, listen, eventually, in true biblical community, When you have the humility to pull the log out of your own eye, only then can you see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that's the goal of being in community. If you're not, I hope that you will be soon. Listen carefully. What are we learning? Scripture teaches there is a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. When Jesus said judge not, there was a comma, not a period. He's simply teaching like James. He's simply teaching there's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. Learning to judge without being judgmental. Uh, Check this out for all those that would say, well, Jesus said not to judge. That same Jesus that said judge not in Matthew 7, 1 is that same Jesus who said in John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He's clearly telling us to judge, but do it with righteous judgment instead of judging according to appearance. And this is how most of us judge people, just pure appearance. What we see can be deceiving. So we were on vacation down in New Orleans here a few weeks ago. And if you've ever been to New Orleans, it was my first time. You know, there's some eccentric people there. (laughs) Very eccentric. So we were kind of getting into the spirit of the city a little bit. We'd gone to the World War II Museum. At the World War II Museum, they give you these little yellow buttons to clip onto your collar, so that's proof that you have paid. And as we were leaving the museum, my youngest son, Josh, realized, Dad, there's something else we can do with these. We don't have to throw them away. And um, I didn't know what it was. He said, we can wear them as a gauge. I didn't know what a gauge was. Did you know a gauge is an earring? What do you guys think? Is that a good look? Should I go with it? I just heard yes, I just heard no. See, some of you are judging me, aren't you? So uh, I'm probably not going to go with it, just so you know. Now, some of you are relieved, and some of you are going, oh, no. Judge not according to appearance. So we had a lot of fun with that this day. I ended up taking mine off. Josh left his on. You, you, he got lots of looks. He did. Here's, I'm just telling you, judge not according to appearance. I was raised in church. Maybe you were too. Some of us weren't raised in church at all. You're probably honestly better, than, better off than a lot of us, okay? Well, I was raised in a church, guess what? It would have been scandalous 
for a boy to pierce his ear. That's where I was raised at the time. So I'm just saying, I'm not going to, but if I ever did, don't judge me. Some of you are squirming right now, I can tell. You're really struggling with that, aren't you? I can tell you are. See, it's judge not according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. There's a different metric system that Jesus is talking about than what we can see with our eyeballs. And, and this is the judgment that James is talking about. This is the judgment that Jesus talked about, this superficial external measure of how we judge somebody based on personal opinion. Arbitrary ideas, my personal philosophy that we try to sometimes make into theology. I mean, I was, uh, I was raised in a church that, uh, quite frankly, um, would have um, taught that it was a sin, for example, to have a drink of any kind for any reason for many years. I believe that. All right, now here, listen very carefully. There is no book, chapter, and verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not have a beer. Now, if you're drinking in any way to get tipsy or to get buzzed, you are sinning. But there's no book, chapter, and verse that says, thou shalt not have a beer. Now, some of you, I know what you're doing right now. You're looking at your Bible. Yes, there is. I know there is. I know there is. I'm going to find it. I'm going to send it to I know there is. I'm telling you, there's not. I want you to see how sometimes we take personal conviction and then we impose it on others as doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is thus saith the Lord. Personal conviction is thus saith Phil. You see the difference? Or thus saith Susie, or thus saith Sally, or thus saith James, or thus saith Billy. See, personal conviction, personally speaking, is I don't drink for any reason. I use no alcohol whatsoever. Not because it's doctrine, but because it's personal conviction, right? First, uh, first uh, Corinthians chapter 9 says, beware lest this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And so because I don't want to be a stumbling block to those in my life that I lead that have an alcohol alcohol issue or an addiction, I personally choose to limit my liberty willingly for the sake of those that I lead. But here's the deal. It's a conviction, not a doctrine. What does that mean? It means it would be wrong of me to say, because I don't drink for any reason, you're less of a Christian if you do. See, I have a conviction, but that's not a doctrine. Doctrine is, the Bible says, Conviction says, well, Phil says. And that's what was happening here throughout the early days of Christianity. That's why James is now writing. They were taking this, this area of circumcision to the point where it became a place of division and dissension with some Jews saying, by conviction, I think we should still be circumcised, where others were saying, no, that's under the old covenant. We now live in the new covenant. And this was this great bone of contention, and people are taking this personal conviction and trying to pass it off as doctrine. And we do this all the time in various ways. Uh, it, it was about four and a half years ago. Sean Struckmeyer, who was in the video, he came from California to lead our worship. And some of you that were here at the time, you remember Sean? He had, he had the streak thing going on in his hair, all right? So he's a creative, artsy guy, right? And so he had more than one color going on in his hair. And did you know we had people leave our church because of that? Yeah. I know they did because I know the church they went to, and I'm friends with the pastor, and we went to lunch one day. And I asked him, 
so what are people telling you when they, when they leave our church and, and, and go to yours? He said, well, they always say they love your preaching, but then he looked at me and said, but did you, did you hire a worship pastor with blue hair? <laughs> I said, well, actually, no, it's brown, but it's a blonde streak, not blue, as if that mattered. I was like, why don't, why don't they just open up their, I'm serious, why don't you just open up your mouth and admit I'm a superficial Christian? Just admit I'm a shallow Christian, because that's what you're saying. And when we start judging people for how they do their hair or what they wear or if they have something in their ear, do you realize how judgmental and how absolutely superficial we have become? Judge not that you be not judged. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's exactly kind of judgmental that's in view there. Sizing people up on outer appearance, even though twice the Bible says, don't look as man sees, for man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. Seriously, we're going to judge somebody now for how they do their hair. What do you think about me? Yeah, I mean, I'm in real trouble, aren't I? Here's what I want you to see. We need to grow deeply to walk in maturity. That is the goal of James for you and me, where all of a sudden we have this sense of acceptance. Like, we don't care about the superficial, the external. God's looking at the heart. Uh, we judge each other's churches just based on appearance. So I don't know how many times this has happened since we moved into this building. It would be three years ago this December. I don't know how many times this has happened. People come to our church, and I meet them, and uh, they love it. And they'll say, Pastor Phil, it took us a long time just to come and try your church. I say, why? Well, honestly, we looked at the building, and it's this big, nice building. And, you know, it's a big church, big building. They can't be preaching the Bible there. I mean, big building, nice building, name's Abundant Life. It's a happy, clappy church. They can't really be preaching the Bible there. Would you not judge us for our building? Would you tell your friends we preach the Bible here? You see, this is what happens. We all have a propensity to do this, every single one of us. We judge based on outer appearance instead of letting God be the judge and God looks on the heart. So there's a right way to judge, there's a wrong way to judge. We are to take the Bible and judge between what is morally right and morally wrong. You see this idea in our society of don't judge me, don't tell me how I to live, there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong, I should live how I wanna live, you live how you wanna live, that is not what's in view here at all. We make moral judgments every single day. We need to learn to make moral judgments without being judgmental. Now, some of the thought of the day is built on this twisted definition of tolerance. All right, what is the definition of tolerance that we've been taught? What is the definition of tolerance our children are being taught? It goes something like this. Tolerance is that all views are equally valid, so I should accept all views. When all views are not equally valid. All right, five plus five will always equal 10. It will never equal nine, yes? See, there's a right and there's a wrong. 10 plus 10 will always equal it will never equal 19. Uh, 20 plus 20 will always equal? 40 plus 40 will always equal? We better stop right there. <laughs> Numbers are gonna get big in a minute, okay. 
Here's the point. There's right and there's wrong. There is with everything in life. Now, the only area we don't like to apply that principle is in my own moral choices. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Who are you to judge me? No, wait a minute. This applies to every area of life. There's absolute right and there's absolute wrong. Just go ahead and apply that principle. When you get on the plane, next time you're going to fly to some faraway city, I'm going to tell you when I get on the plane, I'm going to fly to a faraway city. I want that man flying that plane to pick the right lever and push the right button. Not just any button will do. Just pick one. They're all the same. No, they're not. They don't do the same thing. Here's the reality. We, we are called to make moral judgments. There is right. There is wrong. But learn to do it without being judgmental. And as Christians, we do this every day. We're to call what is and what isn't sin. And that's what Jesus meant in John 7, 24, when he said to judge with righteous judgment, to take the word of God as our filter and our final authority for what is true spiritually and what is true morally. We're not to judge with this hypocritical, self-righteous judgment, this hypocritical, self-righteous judgment of self-deception. What's the true definition of tolerance? No, it's not accepting all views as equally valid because all views are not equally valid. There's right and there's wrong. True tolerance is this, accepting all people regardless of their view. See, that's true tolerance. And that's what makes us a church house and not simply a courthouse. Here's the reality. We don't care what you've done. We don't care how you live. I don't care how you've sinned. I don't care where you've been. I accept you and I love you and I care for you regardless of your personal lifestyle or your views. That's tolerance. And see, that's who Jesus was. Now, Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.16. He was living proof of a loving God to a watching world. What we like to say, we're called to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Watch this. John chapter 15 and verse 1. He was a friend of sinners. Oh, the Pharisees, the religious people, they would criticize him constantly because he would eat with sinners. How can he do that and call himself a man of God? I mean, here's the reality. Sinners were drawn to him. You know why? Because he wasn't representing the courthouse. He was representing God's house. He had compassion as opposed to a spirit of condemnation. He said in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. You see what he said? God did not send his son into the world for condemnation. He sent his son into the world for salvation. And Jesus was a friend of sinners. He accepted them. He ate with them, implying equality and intimacy relationally. And it drove the religious people crazy. You know what I'd like to do at our church? Let's drive the religious people crazy. You know what that looks like? Abundant life is a friend of sinners. Pastor Phil is a friend of sinners. Sinners are welcome at Abundant Life. We accept you and we love you. You know why? Because Pastor Phil is no better than you. He's no different than you. His stuff stinks too. 
And see, when you begin to see your own stuff, that you have salvation and you can be called one of God's children for no other reason except what Jesus did for you and not what you have done for him. All of a sudden, you can take that log out of your eye to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. And that's what it means to judge now without being judgmental. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he was never a friend of sin. See, we're not called to be a friend of sin, but we're called to be a friend of sinners. And this is what it means to not have this hypocritical, self-righteous judgment on another, that this true tolerance is I I accept you and I love you just the way you are. You know why? Because God accepts you and loves you just the way you are. Now listen carefully. He loves you and accepts you just the way you are, but if you come to him and you give your heart to him, he's going to love you and accept you just the way you are, but he's not going to leave you just the way you are. He wants you to become like him and walk away from that sin. And you see, that's what we're called to do. It says, do not speak evil of one another. James 4, he says, brethren, don't speak evil of another. Listen, I have opinions that no one will ever know. I do. I have, other, I have opinions of other pastors I will never say to anyone. I have opinions of people I'll never say to anyone. He said, don't speak evil of one another, brethren. It's okay to have opinions of each other. And sometimes it may be right and sometimes it may be wrong. He says, don't say it, even if you think it. He says, don't speak evil of one another, brother. And he who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? He's saying, look, there's only one God and you ain't it. There's only one lawgiver. Now, when you judge a brother, you judge another, what you're saying is you know more than even God. You know more than even the law of God. And what he's speaking of specifically here is the one law of the many laws, Jesus said specifically, is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the royal law that James has already spoken of. We are to apply God's love and not the law one to another. And when you choose to apply the law instead of love one to another, what you're saying is, I know more than the law of God. I'm going to apply the ones I want, but not the one that really matters. Jesus said, here's the number one law, the number one commandment. Everything comes down to this one thing. John 13, 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, so you also to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Here's the reality. He's saying this one thing I want you to do, love each other like I have loved you. Let me ask you, did Jesus love you only when you became lovable little you? Oh no. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is he died for you even though he saw all the stinky, stinky stuff on you. He died for you. He didn't wait for a little lovable you to become more lovable to love you. He died when you were unlovable. Do you see the royal law? 
that we're to apply to one another an unconditional love for each other, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of how deep your sin, we love you no matter what. We accept you. You see, that is what it means to judge without being judgmental. I want you to see ultimately that means we should emphasize compassion and restoration over condemnation. Jesus said, he that believes not is condemned already. Listen, our responsibility as Christians, our responsibility as the church is not to announce condemnation on people. You know why? Because they're already condemned by sin. We don't have to. Our message is not condemnation, but rather compassion. Our message is not condemnation, but rather a chance for redemption, reconciliation, restoration. God is a God, you see, of salvation. It's not enough to have the right position without having the right disposition. And I think sometimes that is our problem as Christians. We have the right position, but we have the wrong disposition. Have you guys ever met somebody that honestly, they seem like they were just a little too happy there is a hell? It's like so judgmental, so full of condemnation. The world's going to hell, and I'm happy. I mean, look at them. When they die, they will fry. Hey, this is the age where people like to say there is no hell. Even some within the body of Christ, you know, Christian universalism, I'm a hopeful universalist, I'm a hopeful person that there really is no hell, that everyone goes to heaven. Listen, I don't hope for anything that Jesus gives me no hope. There is a hell. It couldn't be more clear. Jesus taught it. But I'm not happy about it. We ought to break our hearts. Our hearts ought to break for what breaks the heart of God. You remember Jesus? Remember what it says? He, he looked over Jerusalem and he wept for that city. He wept for them. These are the people he knew was going to reject him and yell, crucify him and ultimately torture him. He wept over them. Have you ever asked God, to make you weep for what makes him weep. He weeps over the souls of men and women that will die without him. And too much of the time, when it comes to sin and making moral judgments, we have the right position, but we've got the wrong disposition, and that's why nobody's listening. And I want you to know, listen very carefully, if you don't know Jesus, the Bible clearly contains judgment of sin and God's judgment upon sinners. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon all unrighteousness and those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. See, if you don't know Jesus, if you're at a place where you've never come to him, received him, put your faith in him, put your hope in him, you're still trying to do a little religion, you don't know anything yet about redemption, you need to understand, apart from the Son of God, you don't receive the love of God. God loves you, but you can't receive it. No, you're not under the love of God, you're under the law of God. 
What is the law of God? Think of the Ten Commandments. God said not to lie. You did. God said don't take my name in vain. You did. Now I'm not judging you. I did too. I have. I'm no better than you. I'm just redeemed. I've been forgiven. And this is why James ends this lesson in verse 12 saying, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? No, I'm not God. I'm not here to judge you. But there is a God who one day will judge you. And we've all broken the law of God. He is the lawgiver, the moral lawgiver. You get to define what is the moral law when you're God. And we've all broken God's law. And he's come to save you. But if you will not receive the salvation of God, there is coming a day where he'll have no choice but to judge you. He's holy. He's sinless. And that means it demands a penalty. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took your punishment. Jesus took your blame. He took your sin. He took your shame. But if you will not receive Jesus as your Savior, there's coming a day he will be your judge. If you don't know him today, today is the day of salvation. Listen, we love you, we really do. I don't just say that because I have to. And there are people here that care about you. As everybody else is going that way, you need to come this way and you need to decide today, I am not leaving church today until I know that I am under the love of God, no longer under the law of God. I know Jesus as my Savior and the Son of God. And somebody's here today, right down here to help you do that. Here's the reality. We're all to judge sin, but only God has the authority to judge a person's soul. And one day he will. Are you ready? If today was that day. Jesus, I pray for every person here that every person today would make ready to see you because one day we will. I pray, God, your grace would abound on every person in this place that we would all know the joy of Jesus. And in that name we pray. Amen. Love you all very much. Have a blessed day.